Hello. Welcome to the first episode of the Nature of My Game podcast. I'm Eric Priester, and I'll be your host for this and hopefully many future episodes of this venture. It's been a long time coming, and I couldn't be more excited to finally share it with you. The Nature of My Game is a story-focused actual play podcast of investigation, strangeness, and fear. Each season of the podcast will tell a single, self-contained story that connects, sometimes subtly, sometimes more explicitly, to the stories that have been told before and will be told in the future. Each season will feature a different cast, and will use a different tabletop role-playing game to aid, inspire, and inform our storytelling. For the first season, we chose to play a game called the Yellow King RPG, written by Robin D. Laws and published by Pelgrane Press. The first season is based on an adventure written by Sarah Saltiel called The Doors of Heaven. Joining me for the first season are three amazing players who really brought the world and their characters to life in a way that I couldn't have imagined. They are Mike Krennick, who plays Donald Braith, Emily Townsend, who plays Francis Anderson, and Tom Witte, who plays Monty Hogg. You'll get a chance to learn about each of them and their characters as we go along. Before we start, I'd also like to give a quick shout-out to Jean-Luc Bouchard, who composed and produced our intro music, which you'll hear very soon. For those of you who would like to learn more about the Nature of My Game podcast, you can find us at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or at nomgpodcast.com. Thanks again for being here and joining me on this adventure. And without further ado, let's dive into our story for the first time. Prologue. San Francisco. 2016. The dust from the mildewy cardboard box sprayed up into Portia's face as she unfolded the flaps. She choked back a cough as she rummaged through her mother's possessions, searching for a particular journal she knew she had seen before. She was sure it was in this box, though it was one of dozens stored and ignored in her basement. She pulled out folders and notebooks, some newer and some far older, until she found the leather-bound book she was looking for. It was one of the oldest in the box, perhaps the oldest, and she recognized it instantly. Not bothering to return everything as she had found it, she tossed the other papers back into the box and pushed it aside before heading up the stairs and out of the gloomy basement. Portia tossed the journal onto the kitchen counter as she passed, and regretted it almost immediately. Dust billowed off the journal as it landed on the counter, and from the early morning sunlight streaming through her windows, she could see the particles floating over the surface of her kitchen. The dust, even more than the journal, was out of place in her pristine living space. She ignored it for now, pulling a wool hat over her ears and heading out into the crisp morning air for a run. The run was part of her routine, and the journal could wait. But no matter how hard she pushed herself, she couldn't get her mother's voice out of her head, the same voice that had kept her awake most of the night. Her mother's voice was still in her mind as she walked back through the front door, repeating a name over and over, wanting to make sure that Portia heard it and took note. It was the most lucid her mother had been for quite a while, years maybe, and it was her insistence that continued to haunt Portia. She had other things to do first, though. Run, shower, coffee, breakfast. That was the routine. Only then would she pick up the journal again. Her routine did little to delay her, though, and within 30 minutes, she was curled up in the one comfortable chair in her house, steaming coffee and a bowl of oatmeal ignored on the side table, journal in hand. She realized, as she moved to crack open the cover, that she was afraid. Portia Marks, the daughter of an army general, 
and a highly trained military operative in her own right, who had spent more time undercover in enemy territory than she wanted to think about, felt fear for the first time in as long as she could remember, all because of the insistence, the urgency in her mother's voice. Montgomery Hogg, her mother had said over and over again when Portia had visited her yesterday. Montgomery Hogg, she had said, not breaking eye contact with Portia. Montgomery Hogg, Montgomery Hogg, Montgomery Hogg. Finally, stealing herself, Portia flipped open the leather-bound book and looked at the first page, just inside the cover. There, in scratchy but clear handwriting, someone had written, The Musings and Thoughts of Montgomery Hogg During His Time in Paris, 1895. story starts on a warm summer day in Paris. The year is 1895, and the French capital stands as the foremost center of arts, learning, technology, and luxury in the world. Anyone who is anyone either lives in Paris or wishes they did. And for many young Americans, children of means with an interest in the artistic pursuits, Paris is the place to study, the place to experience everything life has to offer. As the sunlight starts to lessen on this beautiful day, the cream of Paris is out in droves. Dressed to impress and without a care in the world, they flock to the local cafes to flirt, gossip, and above all, to be seen. At one particular cafe in the neighborhood of Saint-Germain-des-Prés, a cafe called Le Vue Gras, or the Fat Calf, the flush-faced proprietor, a man named Pierre, chats animatedly with a few art students. Regulars who come to Le Vue Gras for the cheap wine and spirited banter. Pierre waves at other passers-by, clearly a staple in this neighborhood. Paying no attention to Pierre, or anyone else for that matter, is another man sitting alone at a table outside Le Vue Gras, leather-bound notebook in hand, scribbling away. He barely looks away from the notebook as he takes a heavy sip of wine before resuming his writing. Tommy, would you tell us about Monty Hogg? So, Monty Hogg is seated at the table. He has that journal in his hand. You can see a he is a young man, uh, sort of wiry build, um, has dirty blonde hair and a full beard. Uh, and he is, while he is sketching in his, in his notebook, uh, writing some things down, um, it is sort of a, oh, there's almost a lackadaisicalness to it as he kind of uh, writes some words. He seems, as he drinks his wine, a bit unfocused, just sort of looking out at the world, barely seeing what is there right now, and then going back to, uh, back to his journal as he continues to write some words down. Moments later, a woman approaches the table. 
She wraps her fingers on the tabletop to get Monty's attention before sitting down. And Emily, tell us a little bit about Frances Anderson. Sure. Uh, Frances Anderson, she's a young woman. Um, She tends to be very, I'm not going to say mannishly dressed, but she tends to wear clothes that it would be fine if they were covered in paint. She wouldn't be upset about it um, because she is, in fact, a painter. Um, and uh, this morning, she's she's looking reasonably put together, I think, for, for this time of day, all things considered. Um, she's got her, her hair is back, it's up. Um, and she has got with her what she always has, which is a great big satchel. Um, and she tends to carry many, many things in that satchel, more than she probably should. Her shoulders kind of tend to hurt at the end of the day. Um, but it is worth it to always feel prepared. Francis, how are you doing this afternoon, my friend? Uh, did you recover from uh, last night's uh, foibles? Well, I I think you could probably say that I'm doing better this afternoon than I was this morning. So I consider that improvement to be something worth celebrating. I should hope so. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing better this afternoon than I was this morning. I don't suppose it much matters, but uh, why don't you have a seat? Little, uh, is it still hair of the dog if it's in the mid-afternoon? I think it might be. Little I hair mean, of the dog for you? Tends to work. And as, as the two of you are talking, uh, a third companion arrives. You stop your conversation to greet him as he pulls up a chair. Uh, Donald Braith, Mikey, tell us about your character. Donald Braith is a uh, he's a very serious uh, architecture student who uh, very much is devoted to the idea, almost slavish to the idea of rationalism and being able to explain all things, which kind of makes uh, art school a strange place for him because he's not very big on the whole expressionism thing. He's much more into the idea of you know you. You you document what's happening in the world. You can look at the buildings of the world. You can look at the uh, uh, structures that are there and kind of know everything you need to know. And the only thing that culture and expression really tells you is like whatever the mental decay and in his mind, degeneration of the society is. That's the only thing that's really reflected in art. He's a very rational guy. He's a very serious guy. Not joyless, but... These are the only two people in school, for instance, that he is even remotely friendly with. Does, does Donald go by Donald, or do we call him, like, Don or Donnie? He goes by Don. Don, all right. It, it probably, it, it very much, Don doesn't bother him, Donnie really does. <laughs> well, the gang's all here, I see. Yes, I suppose we are. Good morning, afternoon, whichever it is. I hope both of you slept off the evening. Something along those lines, I suppose. Exactly. I mean, I don't remember much of the end of it, but I woke up, so I think it ended reasonably well. I see you've both learned your lesson with the full glass of wine in front of you. I'll abstain, but good to see you back on the wagon. (laughs) So what do you think the three of your plans for the evening are? Well, uh, speaking of learning lessons, I suppose, seeing as we are here in our 
Uh, I, I suppose that I will continue to drink later tonight. I don't know <laughs> if you, the two of you had any further plans, but, uh, well, <laughs> that's where my mind was. I don't know, Monty. How will you survive such a divergence from your usual evening? You're a funny man. A very funny man. I observe the universe, Monty. I don't make jokes. I think this evening what I'll do is most likely whatever it is that you're doing. Although I would like to make sure that we got some time this evening to go down to the older districts of the neighborhood and take a look at some of the buildings for one of my one of my research projects. That actually suits me perfectly. I desperately need to find some sort of crumbling ancient structure, or as crumbling and ancient as I can find. Um, I need to do more studies. I, I have a, my, my piece for the salon is coming up, and I, mm, I, I do faces. I don't do buildings, and I, I need to work on that. So if there are places that you, you can think of, that would be wonderful. Monty, will you be joining us? Of course. I mean, you you know very well uh, such things are not so much of an interest to me. Uh, what is, I suppose. But uh, uh, anywhere the two of you go, uh, I'll be happy to follow. Old crumbling neighborhoods have their share of opium dens. Monty, you'll find something to do. The opium dens there don't hold much interest for me either. I will be perfectly honest with you. Very good. So as you're as you're sitting there, you know, one of the one of the most significant pastimes uh, in Paris at this time is people watching. Um, and that's one of the reasons that you've chosen this particular cafe, because they have a nice set of tables out on the sidewalk and you're able to pull three chairs around so that you can observe the scenes around you. And so as you sit there and watch, uh, you see a fashionable couple dressed in all black step by you briskly, arguing heatedly about their respective love affairs. Across the street, a sullen man with a thick mustache sits alone at a table, returning his attention to his notebook every five minutes to jot down sketches of his surroundings. A mother drags her two children along, hurrying them down the sidewalk and scolding them for their bad behavior. This evening is much like many others you've spent sitting in this exact spot, watching these same people pass in and out of your view and in and out of your mind. But at that moment, Donald, you notice something odd. Someone, in fact. A young man, a fellow art student named Calvin Leith, ducks and weaves his way through the crowd. What's particularly odd is that a few weeks ago, Calvin Leith was all anyone in your social circles could talk about because he had disappeared. Yet here he is, back among the crowd as if he had never gone. As you look more closely, he seems on edge and as if he's muttering to himself as he bumps into others on the sidewalk. Is that Leaf? Over there in the crowd. Where? Oh my god, I, I think you're correct. Calvin Leaf? Calvin Leaf. Yes. I, I I swear that's him. I certainly we should go speak to him. He's been he's been missing. It, and he, Donald just kind of gets up and starts making his way over to where he is. I'll, I'll follow. I'm trying to, like, catch his eye. Uh, I'll stand. I'm not going directly over, but I'll stand from the table. So, Donald, as you get closer to her, or to Calvin, um, 
he whirls around and falls to the ground. And hes you can tell that it looked like that he was just kind of muttering nonsense, but you can you can start to make out some of the things that he's saying. His, he's got a hoarse voice and the doors, the doors of judgment, the, the doors of the last judgment. And he like starts to make eye contact with you, but it doesn't seem like the words that he's saying are directed towards you at all. And Donald, you know, normally would probably, folks would think he would spring into action and try to help, but he just freezes up. This this is too much, it's too weird, and he's not. So he just kind of looks to to Francis for some kind of like, what do we do here? And at this point, when I see uh, Calvin fall over, I will walk over to them as well. And, and I think Francis would go right down. She's going to kneel down next to him, and, and she's going to try to... Is he, you said he was collapsed. Is he, is he, is his body convulsing? Is he just lying down kind of where he fell? Yeah, at this point, he's just kind of like, he's, he's like started to kind of curl into himself a little bit. You know, he's not, he's not curled up into a ball or anything like that, but he, you can tell that he, you know, he's like kind of trying to protect, protect his core a little bit. Um, and as you kneel down, he kind of looks up at you with scared eyes and he continues to repeat some of those similar words. The, the doors of the last judgment. And then he makes direct eye contact with you, Francis. Um, and for the first time now, it seems like he recognizes who you are and is directing his words at you and says, and and the dancers, they're, they're all dancing, all in their masks dancing in masks under the black stars in a white sky next to the doors, the doors of the last judgment. And at that point, his, he starts yelling. I mean, and people, people in the street are like looking around at this commotion now because he's screaming. And then at that, he totally curls up into a ball and covers his ears and closes his eyes shut. Now, before you continue, Donald, you're hearing this and you're hearing him say the doors of the last judgment. And you know that the most famous depiction of the Last Judgment uh, in Paris is carved into Notre Dame Cathedral above the central door of the Western facade. And it shows the sinners being led into hell and Christians being led into heaven. And so this phrase, the doors of the Last Judgment, it, it's very clear in your head that like this could be what he's referring to. And, and that bit of, of kind of tangible, like I can hang this on something rational, kind of snaps him back into it. Like I, I kind of go from that almost catatonia to more of like now I'm back to myself and I because I have something to cling to. So as he as he curls into the ball, I would probably kind of snap back into it and be like it, it he, he must be it must be something he, he took or, or some sort of drug, a, a drink. I, people don't just collapse ranting about architecture like this. Um, I am going to kind of, <laughs> I also kind of snap into a particular mode here and I kneel down next to him, next to Calvin and I put my arm on his shoulder, uh, and, uh, I say, uh, Calvin, Calvin, you're among friends now. Let us get you up. You are suffering from some sort of attack. We need to get you up and get you into a safe location where you can recover so just look at me, look into my eyes. You are among friends. We are 
Not going to hurt you. You are not in any danger. If you can just stand up, we can get you to safety. Ask if he meant the cathedral, the Notre Dame Cathedral. Is that what he meant when he said doors of judgment? Ask. Donald, Donald we'll, we'll get to that. Calvin, can you can can you stand? I'm going to see if I can help him up or if he's willing to listen to, to either of us at all. Or Yeah, so he, he kind of stares beyond you, uh, Monty. He's, it's as if he's hearing your words, um, but not totally focusing on them. And his lips are moving, but barely, so- but barely any sound is, is coming out. Um, but after a few moments, it feels like your voice, even if he's not understanding the words, that your voice is almost soothing him. Um, and he's able to get out a whisper. And he says, for Ru Caron, um, which you all would be able to recognize as an address. Should we... Is that where he wants to go? Should we try to get him there? You said for Rue Caron? Yes. Given history and Bell Letters' uh, abilities, would I have any idea of where that street is located in Paris? Yeah, you. if, if you thought about it for a little while... Um, you would recognize the name of that street as somewhere relatively close by. It's it's just across the river um, in another nearby neighborhood. Um, it's a little bit of a run-down neighborhood, and you all would know that um, Calvin's family is quite well off. Um, and so it's not somewhere that you would necessarily expect that he would live or spend a lot of time Um but you do think you know where it is. And do we know where it is in relation to Notre Dame? Uh, you do. So so, um, so Notre Dame is on a little um, island uh, on, on the Seine, I think. Yes. <laughs> the, the Ile de la Cité, I think. <laughs> yes, the Ile de la Cité. Um, and so you are on the south side of the river. Um, and the neighborhood where Rue Caron is, is just on the north side. Okay. Uh, not, it, it, not particularly close to Notre Dame necessarily. Like not, it, this is not a situation where he's mentioning a street that is within like a five minute walk of Notre Dame, something like that. Um, that's what I'm wondering. Maybe not a five minute walk, but you would say that like from up on top of the buildings in the neighborhood that he's mentioning, you might be able to see Notre Dame. Okay. Okay. Does... Does Calvin come to this particular cafe? Like, would would Pierre know him and potentially be able to help? Uh, you're not sure whether he frequents this cafe um, very often. You are actually thinking about it a little bit, and you think that he his main friend group uh, hangs out at a different cafe, La Duma Go, um, which is nearby, but not not right where you are. Uh, but that he he hangs in other kind of social circles. You know who he is, um, but he's not somebody that you have spent a lot of time with. Well, we need to get him out of the street. Do, can, do you think we could hoist him? Should we should we take him to the hospital? I don't know. I would I would think that we would probably get him to a medical professional. Uh, it seems that he has suffered from some sort of attack, with, be it physical or mental. Um, so yeah, well, I'll, I'll assist in trying to. If the three of us maybe can try to pick him up. Um, 
hopefully we would know of a, a doctor or someone in the area. A hopital. I researched <laughs> how to say it. That's why I muted my mic. <laughs> and Donald, you would know with your experience in, in some natural history um, that like, you know, you could do kind of a quick, a quick look over of him. Um, and it doesn't seem actually like there's anything medically wrong with him. Um, you test his vitals, like you kind of you kind of feel for a pulse. Seems okay, um, and it it looks like the the best explanation that you have is that he's collapsed from some sort of like sheer exhaustion. This it looks like a a, a dysfunction or an ailment uh, of the mind of the brain. Uh, this is this is something that w we certainly need to get him into treatment immediately. All right. Well, let's uh, let's find a local doctor then. Let's bring him out out of the street and away from people, uh, in a place where he can recover. So he lets you um, lift him up and start to walk him. Um, and you would you know you would know potentially of you know maybe some some local doctors who work out of their out of their homes that might be in the neighborhood. Um, but as you start moving him away from the cafe um, and potentially away from the direction of this address that he's given you, he starts to pull back a little bit, almost kind of stop you from going the direction that you want. And he keeps like looking in the direction of the address that he's shared with you. Calvin, do you, you said for Rue Caron, do you want to go there? Should we take you there? Does it look like he's registering any of that? Yeah, and he like, he doesn't say anything, but he, he just kind of, he kind of nods slowly and then like very quickly, like looks back over his shoulder in that direction again. This man just collapsed in the street. We, we can't take anything he says, but as the ravings of a madman, he, he belongs in a hospital. Maybe, maybe there's a doctor at, at, in Rucaron? Maybe he, I don't know. Calvin, uh, Calvin, can you, uh, can you hear us? Can you register any of what we are saying right now? The stars are shining so bright tonight. The, the black stars are shining. There are no stars in the sky currently. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my thought. I, I think we do what is necessary to get him to uh, a medical professional. And then if we want to look at this address to see if we can determine what, if that is perhaps linked to whatever has caused this attack, we might be able to provide more information to the medical uh, professional who attends him. But at the moment, if you please, uh, Calvin, stand. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me, sir. Look at me. Uh, all right. There you are. There you are. And then I hit him across the head. Oh! Once we are a little bit out of out of where like a lot of people are, so that that it isn't seen by a, a, a whole bunch of people. Oh, good heavens! Uh, if if he's fighting us, taking him to to a medical professional, this is. Monty's, uh, Monty's, in Monty's opinion, the way to get him to be as compliant as possible to bring him to someone. Good man, Monty. 
And so are you attempting to knock him out? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, go ahead and give me a, uh, a fighting check. Okay. Would you like to spend anything? I will spend... Let's see. How hard is his head? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's held up so far. You know, I... Uh... I will spend a point to do this, just uh, just because I do want to try to uh, <laughs> cause him to go unconscious so we can carry him. Uh, no, unfortunately, that is... A, I rolled a two, so that is a three. A three. So you, you swing out and you hit him over the head, and he's kind of knocked back because he wasn't expecting it. Um, and he stumbles backwards, but he stays on his feet... And he turns and runs. <gasps> I, I, oh, I, I hmm. Oh, dear. Should we, should we yes. go after him? Yes, we yeah. certainly should. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and off we go. All right, so you start to chase after him. Um, and this is the first time that you've seen him move with a purpose. Uh, since you've seen him, you know, a, a few minutes ago, stumbling around uh, outside the cafe that you were at. Um, and he now is taking off very purposefully running down the sidewalk. Um, so I'd like all of you to give me um, an athletics check. Um, and you can tell me whether you want to spend anything. Um... No, I'll keep mine. And just to confirm, he is now running in that direction of the four rue Caron. Um, he's running away from you at this point. It's hard to tell exactly. Okay. Whether what his what his ultimate purpose is, but he's running away away from the person who struck him in the head. <laughs> All right, I'm also not going to spend any points on this. I'm yeah, I feel to. like I'm, I'm probably <laughs> going to need hope. them need them more later. <laughs> All right, we all rolling at the same time. Well, I just rolled. So <laughs> okay, probably not. I got a I got a six. I got a one. I got a four. <laughs> it's hard to run in skirts, y'all. It's it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Frances has a little bit of trouble keeping up because of the, the billowing skirts that she's wearing. Um, and her large satchel. <laughs> just banging with every single step. <laughs> uh, but Donald and uh, Monty are able to chase him down. But, you know, you, none of neither of you are particularly... I, I don't know whether either of you were football players back in the States... Um, or any, I guess I guess football hadn't been invented by that point, but I don't know whether you were athletes You're back in the States. You're old-timey football. I don't know what it was invented. I worked in industry for a little while under with uh, my father's railroad, so I had some I, no sports though. So yeah, I ran. I did like you know like a, the track and field equivalent in that era. <laughs> yes. Um, so you know body control may not be perfect, but you're fast enough to catch up to him. But the three of you kind of get tangled up and you slam him down on the sidewalk and it opens up like a gash <gasps> in his skull. Oh, Mr. Lee! Not in his skull, in his head. Oh. Well, head, head wounds always bleed a lot, so he's he's probably fine, but I do think we probably need to get him to a doctor. I look over at Francis and go, how did you, how do you know that? But <laughs> but <laughs> I think you're right, but sure. Okay, yeah. We, we, I'm going to yes, reach in my satchel, uh, and I've got, like, a towel, and I'm just going to hold it on his head as best I can. And... Yeah. Monty, are you wearing, like, a uh, like a 
like a scarf, like any kind of like fancy I have, thing. I have on a, I have a vest, uh, like an ascot and and slack, so I could take my ascot. No, and I'm gonna reach to... up and grab your ascot off of okay. you, <laughs> okay, and just start tying it around his head. Like I won't, I won't ask. It's very rude. I just grab it and I tie it around his head because I know I want to stop the bleeding. Like I know that's a thing. Sorry, uh, Mon- Monty. I'll, I'll buy you a new. It's, it's fine, Don. I don't have a particular interest in whether or not that that specific ascot gets bloody or not. No, well, thank goodness. <laughs> is there any chance that where this is all taking place, we are very much closer to any sort of medical professional? Like we look into, oh, look, we're just at the doctor's office here, the medicine. Dr. Blackstar. <laughs> there is a local physician uh, nearby who a lot of the students will go to for some of their more minor ailments, you know, maybe for maybe for something for a headache uh, the morning after <laughs> a, a, a long night of absinthe drinking. Um, his name is um, Henri Ducasse, um, and he is he is nearby. Um, actually, we, we'll, whoever has um, first aid... Go ahead and give me a roll to see whether you can actually get any of this bleeding stopped. Okay. I have a zero. So. Yes, as do I. I think Tommy's the only with a single digit. No, I have a one in first aid. Well, you don't want to <laughs> use that here. <laughs> well, so then actually, let's say, Donald, you were the one that pulled the ascot off of Monty and tried to wrap it around his head. So why don't you give me a first aid roll? Three. All right, so the wound is still bleeding pretty <laughs> profusely, but, um, but Henri oh, is nearby... Uh, He's you had know, the worst it, day. We've beaten up on this poor man who's had a, a terrible mental break. We is an interesting yeah, turn I'm of sorry, phrase. I have beaten up. I, well, have, it having not succeeded the first time, I'm not going to try that particular route again. Is he now, is he continuing to fight us at this point? Or because we have now beaten him bloody, is he a bit... A bit more compliant. He's a bit more compliant now. You can. He's kind of. He's a little woozy at this point, um, and with his already seemingly addled mental state, um, you know, he's he's much more compliant at this point. And so you're able to take him um, a few streets over to um, to Doctor Ducasse, um, who works out of the ground floor of an apartment building um, in the neighborhood. I imagine that the entire time Francis is kind of holding his hand to just, well, Mr. Leaf, I'm, I'm sure everything is going to be just fine. We, you know, we've all had a little misunderstanding. And Why are we taking like... him to the VD, Dr. Monty? <laughs> Why don't we take him to a hospital? Why are we going to the V, this, this man, tree hangover? We just need to get him to a local professional. I, uh, he's got I'm a I'm certain wound. if... If I, this doctor cannot treat him, that you know he can recommend he go over. At some point, we have to allow uh, Mister Leith here to be in the responsibility uh, to be in the responsible care of a medical professional. And at some point, we have to relinquish our responsibility towards <laughs> him. I, I think our responsibility is to get him to someone who might be able to help him, and then we can step back from this situation. Certainly. Our responsibility to him has already ended. It ended the moment we decided that it ended. This man has injured his head. This man is clearly in distress. And if this man were to expire due to these conditions, that's the beyond our control. So I agree with you, Monty, 100%. I just, uh, as soon as I hear the word expire, Francis just starts talking louder. Mr. Mr. Leaf, everything's going to be just fine. Oh, yes, you're going to be fine. 
<laughs> All right. So you you um you take him to the residence of Doctor Ducas. Um, he answers the door. Um, you know he's he's an older gentleman. Um, has been practicing medicine in the neighborhood for a while. You probably all have seen him at one point or another for something in your time so far in Paris. Um, and he says, "Oh, he- hello. How 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 can I help you? What what has happened here to this man?" Uh, Doctor Ducasse, do you know Mister Leith? He's he's a, he's a fellow student of our friend of ours at the 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 school and he's he's tripped and fallen we're hoping you could help it may be syphilitic his his state of mind it may be syphilitic so we thought you could you could help doctor we know you are a consummate professional um he this this man clearly is suffering from some sort of mental break and in his unfortunate state he as you can see has also taken uh, a bit of a tumble so uh he does need looking after well, I, I understand. Uh, please uh, come in, and, and we can we can look after your friend. Oh, he's not really our friend, Doctor. Oh, you will you will not be joining him. I I suppose I I will leave that to the to the will of the group. Doctor, what better friend could a young man in such a state have than someone who can look after him appropriately? I'm afraid that. We do not have that the particular set of skills that you possess. And just in case the the hesitation on his part is wondering if anyone's going to pay for the treatment, um, Francis will also reach into her bag and hand over some sort of. Oh, I see. Uh, now, see, <laughs> Francis here can present uh, many friends uh, <laughs> that can join mr leith in his uh while he is being looked after medically so uh, perhaps this will uh, take care of it for the moment I, mr leith has many friends of his own and i'm i'm sure will be more than grateful for the momentary aid well you 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 misunderstand i i, I was not talking about the payment either i do i do appreciate it i just wondered whether you would have someone come in and stay with him but it it is all right. I, I will take care of him. Uh, do one of you have a, an address or something that I could come follow up, make sure that I let you know what's happened? Um, I'll, I'll give him. I'll give him mine. I share with him my address that I do not know. <laughs> Five, Rue Caron. <laughs> <laughs> what a coincidence. Um, wait a minute. <laughs> right next door. And so he starts to lead Calvin in. And Calvin... One more time as he's like entering this apartment, like does one kind of like like um jerk kind of back away, and then he gets led in. And as he kind of made that like motion, that kind of violent jerking motion, you see something fall off of his wrist. Um and it lands on the ground and then the door closes. And it's like a, a it's like a, a shiny black bracelet of some sort. It landed on our side of the door, so it's Correct. not inside okay. with him. Okay. <laughs> we don't have an awkward conversation. <laughs> We've changed our mind. No, we haven't. <laughs> Correct. Yes, it's like a shiny black bracelet. And actually, you all would know. Um, you know, the, all of these things kind of make you remember things about Calvin Leith in your head. So he's an architecture student. Um, he has a particular fascination with gothic buildings. Um, he sculpts models of his favorite buildings. 
but he also um, has an amateur interest in jewelry making. Is it a friendship bracelet? <laughs> a cool, creepy little friendship bracelet. Sometimes he um, he designs jewelry for his friends um, that they like wear out. Um, and so this all kind of goes through your mind as you see this bracelet land on the sidewalk outside the doctor's house. Well, I will go and pick it up immediately. Uh, jewelry is not my area of expertise, but uh, do either you recognize this? Is this one of uh, Calvin's uh, particular uh, bracelets that he makes for himself and his friends? Let me see it. I, I can tell you what it's made of. So you look at it. It's, it's a black band made from some sort of shiny black rock. Um, and it's intricately decorated with figures and symbols. And as you look a little bit closer, you see that all the figures are wearing what look like grotesque white masks. Um, Francis, you've seen a few of the pieces of jewelry that Calvin has made for some others. And based on the painted decorations on the band, you definitely think that he made this. Mm. Um, but there's like a primal element that you haven't seen before in some of his other pieces. It doesn't look like any civilization I've ever seen, but it bears all the hallmarks of a Phoenician, Sumerian, Etruscan kind of old savage civilization. I, I, I've never seen anything like it before. Do, um, does Donald recognize uh, the material that it's made of? So, yeah, Donald, you look at it a little bit closer, and the rock, it's not any stone or metal that you recognize. And as you look at it a little more closely, if you didn't know any better, you'd say that it almost looks like bone. That's perfectly normal. What a wonderful thing to know. Could I take a moment to study the symbols as the sort of writer uh, in the room and someone with a, a background in history? Is there, Do any of the symbols register anything with me? They don't really register anything to you. And in fact, Francis is the one that starts to look over it. And, you know, it doesn't, the, the, the symbols on the bracelet don't line up with any culture that, that any of you are familiar with. But they definitely look like they're in some sort of scene of worship. Um, but neither you, Monty, with your history background, nor you, Francis, with your occult background, um, Neither of you know of any traditions that require these, like, grotesque white masks to be worn during worship. Do we... Um, does this seem... He was mentioning dances, dances under the sky, dances under the stars, as I recall. Do we think that this is... I mean, how often... <laughs> he, if, As if I recall, and I was not close friends with Mr. Leith, of course, but I don't recall him being much for dancing. So is this... Do we think this is in some way tied to his mumblings about uh, that address or uh, Notre Dame or something along those lines? I mean, Donald, are the, in the depiction of the judgment on the doors of Notre Dame, are they dancing or are they more being judged and going to where they're going. Now, the judgment doesn't seem particularly pleasant, so there's no dancing uh, that I can see. Uh, it, and it it doesn't look like this. And 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 just to based on what you were saying, the the masks that they're wearing, what were they what kind of masks were they again? 
Yeah, so they they look almost. I mean, it's it's hard to tell because the bracelet is so small, um, but they they're they're pretty plain white masks. But there's something very unsettling about the face, as it's as if it's it's so plain that it's inhuman. Hmm. Francis, Don, uh, this bracelet, this, all these mumblings and things. If you're interested, this may be enough to take the place of my original plans for the evening. Would you want to go and look at this, uh, address that he was, uh, mentioning? <sighs> I suppose... I suppose that would probably be the best course of action here. I mean, I... This seems absolutely terrifying and delightful. All right. I'll leave a note for my dear friend Wine, and then we can just to <laughs> let them know that I'll be back tomorrow night, uh, and we can go and uh, investigate. Do we, do we think it's worth... Hmm. If he's talking about the Doors of Judgment, I mean, should we... Should we swing by them, or should we go directly to Rucaron? Which, yeah, uh, is one on the way to the other? <laughs> you could easily go to the Ile de la City um, on your way across the river to the other side, which is where Rucaron is. So you, you, could, you could swing by and take a look, for sure. I mean, we should swing. Swing. Uh, yeah. I have my texts with me, like I have like a little thing with my bag, and it just so happens that one of them, uh, entitled The Text Chat Season 1, has a picture of The Last Judgment, uh, as it's depicted at Notre Dame, so I turn to the page, and you guys can go look in the channel, <laughs> and uh, see it there, and we can kind of look at it before we even go there and make that like, I think I have, actually, I, I, I'm pretty sure I have a... I started flipping through the book. Yes, here, look, this is, this is the last judgment at Notre Dame. I, it, I, it bears no connection whatsoever. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's got some sort of connection in his mind, clearly. I mean, you're right, there's, nobody's dancing, but. No dances, no stars that I can see under any kind of, uh. Black stars, was it black stars under a white sky? Was it a inverse of our normal uh, expected sky coloration? Yes, it was, it was because I, I, I remember there, it, what he was saying was nonsense. What we're discussing right now is a man who was clearly under some sort of distress babbling nonsense. And while I don't disagree that we should look into it, I don't think we can take anything that that man, we saw him, we saw how he was acting. We saw what he was going through. How can we take anything that he was saying, be it uh, the dancers, the stars, the judgment, anything, as as anything other than the rantings of a madman? Oh, but come on! Fools and children, they see things, they know things. He uh, Just because he may not be at his best right now, to which we have somewhat contributed, I, that doesn't mean he hasn't seen something. That doesn't mean he hasn't witnessed some sort of thing. And I, I don't... I mean, we have to go. We have to find out. We have to know. <sighs> I suppose we'll let the essayist break the tie. <laughs> I wonder how that will go. 
Donald, I, I, don't, I don't believe there's really a tie here. I think you wish to know the truth of this matter as much as uh, either Francis or I. Uh, and the only way to do so would be to go to the physical location that was mentioned, take a look, write down our findings. Uh, perhaps this can contribute to the uh, overall well-being of Mr. Leith as he's be being taken care of. I think we're all in agreement on that. And if nothing else, it's excellent research for my own work. So I think we should all definitely go. You can you can produce a piece, Monty. Uh, three idiots abroad. It'll <laughs> it'll be wonderful. Just like that that son of a bitch, Mark Twain. <laughs> There's nothing saying I haven't been working on that already. <laughs> all right. I suppose we'll go. All right, so is the plan to go to Notre Dame first and then to Fort Rue Caron? I mean, if we have to go north, we might as well. We'll, uh, yeah, we will go to Notre Dame just to make sure if there's anything kind of physically there that would be in any way different or... And so so we'll make a quick, we'll make a quick stop at Le Cité de and then we'll go over to Fort Rue Caron. That's, I'm going to speak in a very, I'm going to give a very genuine French accent now. Every time I say it. I'm sure all of our all of our future French fans will be very excited to have you do that. Mm. Yeah, we just lost them all. <laughs> just so, what if they were like, "Oh, is he French? My goodness, that was so good." When I listen to season one, I mean, they are absolutely terrible to us. It is really, it's a very unfortunate. They have that racist man on there. I don't know why they're becoming Russian. We're not helping. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so you you cross over um, you cross over a bridge onto um, onto the Ile de la Cité, and you um, you find the plaza where Notre Dame sits. Um, the the western facade faces a colorful and bustling square, and even you know in this it's kind of later in the it's late afternoon, early evening time. There are still people milling about, bustling around the square, tourists who are going in and out of the church. Um, the cathedral has three main western doors with two towers and a large stained glass window set in the middle. It is, of course, the pinnacle of Gothic architecture. Uh, and its famed gargoyles lurk on the corners of the building, high above the ground. Um, and so you do see um, the the image of the Last Judgment um, that is carved above one of the doors. Uh, you look around, um, there are, as, as I said, tourists, some locals, potentially some churchgoers who are milling about the plaza. There's a group of young children who are kind of darting about. Um, perhaps they're looking for a mark among the tourist pickpocket. Um, I keep my satchel close. And uh, there's a gendarme <laughs> Uh, patrolling close by, wearing one of those like bluish military uniforms and a tall hat, um, and he kind of patrols the area. Though he doesn't look like he's terribly concerned about the children or really anything else going on. Uh, what a tremendous waste of architecture! Beautiful craftsmanship in service of what? In service of beauty. In service of instruction, in service of atmosphere, if nothing else. I mean, come on. This thing is magnificent. <sighs> it is indeed magnificent, and it was built as a towering monument 
to man's illogical beliefs. Francis, never lose your <laughs> never lose your passion for this kind of this kind of uh, architecture and art because uh, I think I may be uh, more in our good friend Don's camp here. <laughs> it's why I came to Paris. There's nothing like this in America. Now that is very true. <laughs> Everything's too new. Nothing crumbles. Only American hopes crumble, my dear. Uh, let's see. And that's why we're the greatest country on earth <laughs> to everybody listening at home. <laughs> Back to the game, folks. Surely we'll never be quiet and fall. <laughs> I just didn't want anyone to think this was an anti-American podcast. We can't have that. I will we not. would never no, want that. Never. No. no. Patriots, listen, please. <laughs> Now, just to ask the very stupid question. There are no stupid questions. <laughs> There's no one running around in a mask right now dancing, correct? <laughs> there are lots of people in, in the in the plaza. You don't see anyone running around in a mask dancing. There's there's no doubt about that. I mean, I mostly assumed you would have told us mm -hmm, if there were, mm -hmm. but just in case. <laughs> oh, you wanted me to point that out to you. I, I see. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Sorry. Eric, can I use uh, either my architecture uh, or even my natural history? And then I guess it would be a, a sense trouble roll, but I would want to kind of see if anything. I also have officialdom, so I could look at the guy and see if, like, is that the is the security ramped up? Is is anything out of place here, or does it just look full on? It's just normal. It's Notre Dame. Nothing weird. Sure. So, um, you start by just kind of taking a look at the, at the gendarme, um, and, you know, he, he has kind of a, his uniform, you know, from a, from a distance looks pretty nice. Um, but when you pay a little closer attention, it's kind of moth eaten. Um, and he seems to be like, Anytime anyone who looks particularly rich walks by, he, like, takes particular note. And so you get a sense that he potentially doesn't have a ton of money, that he might be interested in, in a bribe or two if you were to want to do something like that. That's the sense that you get from him. Um, do you, um, you know, you're kind of looking around for anything, um, anything of note. Where do you go? Do you go closer to the church? Do you kind of stay back and look at the whole scene? I think because it's just I, I would want to kind of walk closer to the church as if as if I'm walking up to it like I'm not looking for anything. A very standard walk forward. I want to follow that path and just kind of look everywhere as I do it to see if there's anything that seems strange. And I would like to, as he is taking a look, I just want to kind of whisper to him, uh, Don, you would know this better than I. Are there any locations in and around the cathedral where uh, folks like us and some of these other fellows in the street are not permitted to go? Certainly. There are a number of uh, passageways and, and attics and, and, and rooms that just, as with any cathedral, as with any church. Okay, I, I, because I assume... Don has pointed out to us the our the gendarme is uh, you know uh, it seems to be in want of money. Uh, 
Just something to hold in our back pocket in case we uh, need to get a closer look at anything that uh, might officially, uh, you know, not be something we are supposed to be looking at. Well, we also should certainly probably alert his commander. I'm not supposed to go out with a uniform like that. I'm kind of <laughs> muttering to myself, just doing the, like, you know, I'm just keeping it all logical, trying to keep calm, because clearly there's uh, I'm high strung at this moment. When you were when you were describing Donald to me, you didn't tell me he was a snitch. <laughs> <laughs> Does nothing but <laughs> um, anyway so so Donald you, you kind of you kind of start making your way toward the church and looking around just to see if you can see anything that's amiss and you do get to so the the, the center of the doors on the western side um, underneath the um, the sculpture the facade of the last judgment the door is not in its original state um, and you you know you you've probably visited here before but probably not in a little while. Um, and it looks like some of the ironwork has been partially replaced by a different stone, though nearly identical in design. And you look a little bit closer, and you think that the stone matches the stone of Calvin's bracelet. Monty, do you have that bracelet? That... Yeah, uh, yes, right here. And so I take it. Does this... It couldn't... It, Monty, this... I, I know you don't know anything about architecture, but does it look to you that that and this are of the same material? It does to me, and furthermore, I am uh, just DM aside here, someone who would, you know, I know all the papers, all the articles and things that come out. Um, that's, that's what I follow. Um, I would assume if any work was being done on the cathedral, uh, that uh, officially there would have been something written about it and that, that, that has not occurred. Between the two of us, we definitely know that, right? Like with my just kind of architecture thing and Tom's up to date with the news. Like, I was going to say, yeah, like, Don can, is, can tell that work has been done. This is different. And I would know that there hasn't been anything mentioned about it. Presumably, anyway. Unless there has been, unless there has been, have been articles about the, the cathedral being worked on. No, so, so neither, neither of you have heard anything about um, any uh, renovations going on on the, the ironwork of one of the doors of the cathedral, nothing like that. And you do think that you would have heard about something like that. This is different since, since we have been here, correct? The, the, this, this is, Don, this is not what this looked like when we originally visited when we were first here. No, and, and we look through the history of the building. I've never talked about using obsidian or onyx or I, this has never, this has never been a part of this before. This has been changed off the record. There would have been something mentioned or written about this if, if this had been official city or church business that caused this change. This is uh, very unusual. And Don, as, as Monty's saying that, Don like whips around. And he starts walking with a purpose over to the... Someone else say the word. That's why I'm holding it out. Gendarme. Gendarme. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me, sir. Sir. Excuse me, monsieur. Uh, yes. Hello. 
Uh, yes, I, 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 who, who can I speak to uh, about the uh, renovations recently made to this building? Who, do you have a, are there tour guides? Is there a, is there a resident architect? Is there someone I could speak to? I'm a student at the, the, the university. Well, you could, uh, you could speak with one of the priests. Uh, I believe that, uh, let's see, who, who did the service tonight? It was, it was, uh, Father Sakard, uh, Father Alex Sakard. He is probably inside. You could speak with him. Uh, certainly. Thank you very much, sir. And also, clean your uniform. And I turn around and I just start walking past and, and I'm not stopping to interact. I'm not like ask, telling Monty and Francis. So if they want me to stop, they got to stop me. Like they got to call out to me. What are the other two of you doing? I mean, I think so, so far Francis has just been enraptured <laughs> looking at looking at all these little details again, because I'm sure she came. I'm sure she came here like, right away when when she first got. And you there. didn't walk up with us, right? You you're still hanging back. Yeah. And like, I think moving slowly over time, but like savoring as as I move. Um, so I definitely saw you come rushing and then speeding, speeding back. So I think like when I see you start walking that purposefully, I'd probably start to move more purposefully myself. I will I will actually go over to Francis and say, I just kind of summarize just what has just happened. There have been changes to the cathedral uh, and uh, Don is going in to talk to uh, one of the priests who is uh, who gave service tonight to see if he can gather more information about that. Um, I, and I glance over at the gendarme, I might make some friends. Um, I don't know if you wish to stick around for that or if you wish to uh, follow Don or do your own thing, but... Uh, oh, I can't help myself. I want to go in. All right. I'm, I'm going to catch up. <laughs> And as she's saying that, like, as she's saying that, I, I now have turned around and I've come back. Uh, Francis, uh, as I thought about it, I don't, uh, I'm not sure that I am the person. I, I don't. Could you talk to the priest, please, about the recent changes made? I'd be delighted. And then we, I start walking back. All right. So Francis and Donald are going to go inside to talk to the priest and um, and Monty is gonna go talk to the gendarme. Is that the is that the plan? All right. So let's start with the gendarme. So Monty, you walk over back to the gendarme. He looks at you and says, "Yes, sir. How, can I help you again?" How are you doing, sir? How are you doing? Do you? And I, I extend my hand. Um, I, I hope I'm not being too forward. I just wanted to shake your hand. Uh, he uh, he reaches out and, and shakes your hand, and you can see that his posture very quickly kind of relaxes. And he I do the politician grip where I do the handshake, <laughs> and then with the other hand I put it on his forearm, like clasping. Ah, like, oh, wonderful, wonderful. Oh my goodness! Huh. Well, they clearly have some fine physical specimens guarding this particular cathedral. How very nice. And uh, if you don't mind me saying so, my friends, uh, I know a little bit brusque, but uh, I like to think I appreciate the folks who do the real work around here, not just the priests and the, the high-up, high high-up, highfalutin folks. You you understand. 
Well, you do seem much nicer than your friend, though. I'm sure he was just joking. I mean, look at me. And he just kind of laughs. So he, you can tell that he's kind of taking it good-naturedly. Well, <laughs> I, I, I can understand we've all fallen on hard times uh, here and there. I just figured I would come over and make your acquaintance. You know, I, I know it can get a bit, a uh, bit lonely and probably a bit boring just walking back and forth and and doing your job, and it is an important job too. Yes, well, you know, I I try to. Watch the people, you know, as they say, people like to people watch in this city. I have uh, a perfect opportunity to do so here at uh, in the plaza here. A man after my own heart. That is exactly what I spend very much of my own time doing. So I can certainly appreciate that. Uh, so tell me, tell me, I mean, where where around the city uh, are you from? Where do you where do you live and spend your time when you are not here guarding this particular cathedral? Well, I I grew up here in in Perry. I I live uh, a little bit outside of the city center, but I spend much of my time here. I I work most most evenings. Um, I enjoy my work. It is a way to get by. Of course, of course. I, find, I saw you watching some of the children play, and you have family of your own. No, it it is just me. Uh, uh, my family is. He's gone, sadly, but uh, I stay close to the church. That it it gets me through. Ah, uh, yes, I I can fully understand. The church is there for you in good times and in bad. That is what it is here for. I like to think. Uh, big man upstairs keeps his eye on us, does he not? Yes, I, I believe so. I, I I should also introduce myself. Uh, I am Maurice Frenet. Maurice, oh my goodness, how absolutely rude of me. I am so sorry. Uh, my name is Montgomery Hogg. My friends call me Monty, and I insist that you call me that as well. Oh, I, I would be glad to do so, Monty. Uh, are you uh, visiting from America? I, I am actually an art student here, and that my, my two good friends who went inside are as well. Uh, we are all here from America to study uh, our various uh, disciplines. Uh, improve. I mean, this is the art center of the world and has been for some time, never minding some of the um, recent troubles, uh, you know, which I, I understand have affected Paris in the past. Uh, well, I suppose it's been a few decades now. Well, yes, as I say, the, the Lord gets us through it all. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. He does. Indeed, he does. I, in, in fact, uh, the Lord has blessed me uh, with uh, some additional currency, and uh, I would be more than happy to help you get a slightly better suit for when you are uh, walking your rounds around here. Well, that is uh, that is so kind of you. Truly, the Lord blesses me this day. I do wonder what motivation a young man like yourself might have for making such a generous offer to me. Did I not just say, my good friend, Maurice, I am a student of the arts. I appreciate beauty. I appreciate fine-looking things. And I want you to be... How should I put it? I want the context of your surroundings to match up with your own presentation. And I understand it can be uh, affecting and even somewhat embarrassing when you feel like that you do not fit in with your the location in which you find yourself. Um, so I just want you to have 
better clothes so that you feel confident and feel like you fit in to this beautiful and wonderful location. The, the prettiest in Paris, wouldn't you say? Well, you are very kind, and I certainly shall remember your face, Mr. Monty Hogg. Uh, thank you very much, Maurice. I, I hope you uh, have a wonderful rest of your days here. You will see me again. I'll stop by and say hello. It would be terrible to waste a, a fine-seeming newfound friendship, don't you think? And so, as Monty wraps up the conversation, we switch over into the church, um... As some groundwork Mon there, Monty. <laughs> <laughs> as Monty and uh, Francis, or sorry, as Donald and Francis head inside. Um, and you get inside and it looks like a church service has relatively recently wrapped up. Um, and there's a, there you, you see um, a number of congregants, churchgoers who are still milling around. Some of them are probably praying the rosary. Um, and you do see a, a priest who's walking around. He's, you know, lighting some candles around in some of the alcoves, you know, shaking some of the parishioners' hands as they come up and greet him. Uh, let's let's head. Head to the man. Excuse me, Father. Excuse me, Father. Father, Father Sicard? Yeah, so the so he's a he turns around and, and walks over to you. He's a short and thin man, olive skin, dressed in the blacks of a priest, um, with short black or maybe dark brown hair, brown eyes. He says, "Yes, I am Alex Sicard, uh, priest here, uh, and you are Father Scott. It's wonderful to meet you officially. <laughs> My name is Miss Frances Anderson, and with me, I'm Donald Braith, sir." It is lovely to meet you both. I love your church so much. I, I, I come here often. I'm not too proud to admit. Um, and I, we were just outside and noticed something strange. Um, it looks as though the, the, the doors, the, the western doors and the last judgment, there, has there been stonework done on them recently? I, had, I hadn't realized. Well, y yes, there has. I, I don't know why that would be strange. The church doors are under official renovation. What stone did they use, Father? Oh, I, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I am not in charge and not an artist myself. Well, oh, first and foremost, I think it's it's the responsibility of, of a priest to understand the workings of church. But beyond that, could you tell me who would be someone I could talk to who would know the answer to that question? Well, I, I could talk to the bishop. Um, he, I believe, is the one, the, the archbishop, he is the, the one who commissioned the renovations. Uh, I believe he's out of town right now, but I, I could speak to him if you are particularly interested. Certainly, and then could you take a message to the King of England when you're done with that? And Donald just kind of like turns around, he's very annoyed, and starts walking away. <laughs> Father, you're so helpful. Thank you so much. Um, but I'm I am curious. Are there are the the work like the folks who are actually doing the work on the doors? Um, are they the usual types? I mean, are they the ones who've been working for you long? Do you know? Uh, yes, usual types. You know, we we are careful to you know make sure that the 
the experience for our guests and our parishioners is not interrupted, so other than potentially work being done outside what you might consider normal hours, uh, everything is, you know, as normal as, as one would expect. Well, it, I mean, it's only that we notice that the stone that's being re- repaired is not the same stone. It, It's different, and it's... I mean, I, I'm an art student, I, I, I notice these things. Do you was that on purpose? Do you have any idea? I I cannot be sure. I I apologize. I I I do have other people and to talk to and other duties that I need to attend to. Uh, if you would like to set up a meeting, I'd be happy to discuss this with you further. But I I must go. And he kind of very quickly turns and starts to walk away. Can I assess his honesty? Is does he know more than he's actually telling us? Yes, he does. You are <laughs> you are pretty confident that um, he's saying that nothing strange is going on, but he doesn't believe that to be true. Okay. Because um, what I would like to do is then pivot into using my bonhomie and um, see if I can get him to confide a little bit more. Yeah, so at, at right around the time that you're just kind of considering how to reapproach this guy, you know, you you see him walk away and he's walking with a bit of a limp. Um you think he might be injured and like maybe he can't bend his knee for some reason, his right knee. And right around that same time, Monty, you, you know, you finished your conversation with the gendarme and, and walked inside to find your friends. And you, you walk by Donald and walk up next to Francis as you see this priest walk away. And as surprising as it might seem to you, you watch this priest walk away and you see a little bit of a bulge on his side. And you think he's carrying a pistol under his cassock. And that is where we're going to end our story for today. What? podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Sarah Saltiel called The Doors to Heaven, both used under the Pelgrane Press Limited community use policy, along with music from the Yellow King Suite written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at nomgpodcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com.